Amen. Doesn't God have to teach us how to enjoy? He does, believe it or not. We have a tendency to ruin the good gifts of God, to abstain from them, to reject them, to be suspicious of them. And so we do need a lot of lessons and a lot of help in how to enjoy the Sabbath. And the good thing is, he says, if you enjoy his Sabbath, he will bless you even more. Amen? So that's what this class is all about. Today, we're going to talk specifically about the timing of the Sabbath. Is it on Saturday or is it on Sunday? And believe it or not, I've had people uh, question me over this over the years. Um, some people uh, are scared to question tradition. It's not, it goes against their temperament to, to question tradition. Others, though, feel it necessary to question every tradition as though God has never spoken before in time until he has spoken to them. And so we're not either of those type of people, though. We don't worship tradition and we don't reject tradition, but we do want to understand why we have this tradition, right? So why do we have this tradition? Why is it on Sunday? Could it be any day? Should it be Saturday? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Be vulnerable? That's the thing when you speak vulnerably, then there's stuff that people can get you with. So anybody want to try it? No? I'll just do that this morning for all of us, right? Yes, did you want to try? You don't have a problem being vulnerable. What do you, got to, what do you have to be afraid of? All right, what do you think? You don't have to answer the whole question, but why Sunday? Well, for two reasons, because the Lord rested on the seventh day. Okay. um, That's Saturday. He established rest, that's right. And then Jesus rose on Sunday. Sunday. Amen. That's the crux of it. The resurrection was on Sunday. Sunday morning. That's right, Sunday morning. And so that is the reason why it switches. The old creation um, had the, se- the seventh day or Saturday established as a day of rest, the first full day of man. But then the new creation, Jesus rose, and his first full day, the new man, was on the first day of the week for the new creation. So that's the gist of it. But we're going to dig into it a little bit more. All right? Where in the Bible does it say... Change it to Sunday. Has anyone found the proof text? It's in the same verse with the word Trinity. It's also in the verse where women are allowed to take the Lord's Supper. Um, And there's quite a few other things that we know about the Scriptures that there's no proof text for. So never develop your practices or your theology looking for proof texts. That's not exclusively how you do it. And don't let anyone else question what you do or your theology because you can't find an immediate proof text, an exact command. There are plenty of things you can't do that the Bible never explicitly says, don't do this. But we deduce it from clear and necessary consequence when we put various scriptures together. Make sense? And then there are things that we must do, even though the Bible never explicitly commands do this. We put them together with clear and necessary consequence, relying on the Holy Spirit and 2,000 years of God's grace being poured out on the church long before we were ever born. Amen? A lot of grace has been amassed over these 2,000 years, and so we can um, reasonably, still holding fast to the Scriptures, look to tradition as well, look to how the saints um, defended their practices and, and taught their practices as well. So we're going to get into it, and I'm going to show you that it is plain, 
absolutely clear and plain that it should be on Sunday. It's not confusing. It's not debatable. We should be utterly dogmatic about it. It's Sunday, period, no other day. Right? And I'm going to show you that from Scripture. So first we're going to begin in Psalm 118, verse 22. Now, here we see that God was preparing and had planned to establish a new day. A day that had not yet been, a day that would come. A new day he planned to establish. It's Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected. Who's that? That's Jesus, according to Acts chapter 4. The stone that the builders rejected. Who are the builders? The church. That's right. The uh, apostate church, um, capital in Jerusalem. Rejected has become the cornerstone. The cornerstone of what? A new temple, that's right, a new tabernacle, a new Jerusalem, a new church, a new Israel, reconstituted Israel. So the stone that the builders rejected, when was he rejected? At the cross, primarily, the whole time, but it, it climaxes at the cross, and has become. So the stone rejected has become the cornerstone. So the psalmist sees the Messiah being rejected, and he also sees the Messiah becoming the cornerstone of a new Israel, a new tabernacle, a new temple, right? This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Then notice the demonstrative pronoun, this. It repeats, this is the Lord's doing. This is the day. Does everyone see this? It's part of my job is to teach you how to read the Bible and to read it carefully. But you can see that this, that is a pronoun which demonstrates this table, that window. Right? This is the stone which the builders rejected. And this becoming is the Lord's doing. And this is the day that the Lord has made. Now, in, in David's time, in Psalm 118's time, it had not yet happened, but he sees it as though it had already happened, and that's called the prophetic past. When you read prophecies in the past tense, it's written in the past tense to, to basically give the impression that this is settled, this is done. Make sense? So God had always prepared and planned to establish a new day, and we should respond by rejoicing and being glad in that new day that he established. All right, what do we call this new day? Revelation chapter 1 verse 10. I'm going out of order for you, Kevin, but Revelation 1.10, we call this new day the Lord's day. This is one of many verses where we see that it's the Lord's day. That's what we call it. That's the, the name for it. You can call it other things, but that's the primary name used for it in the New Testament. Now, when did... The day get established. Well, you can see in our text, if, if y'all could go back to uh, Psalm 118, that the day is established when the, the stone becomes. Okay? So when does the stone become? When does the stone become a new cornerstone? Acts 4.10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become. It's in the past for Peter. 
And he says it right after he says, you crucified, God raised. You rejected, has become. You see the parallel there. When has Jesus become the cornerstone? At the resurrection. That's right. That is when he was begotten, which is a Psalm 2 verse. Very, very important. If you can get this, um, you, you can understand quite a bit more about the scriptures. That the resurrection is the beginning of the new creation. It is the regeneration. It's the start of it. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. He is the firstborn from the dead. Meaning, he's the firstborn of the new creation where there is no death. He is, the new, he is the new Adam. And on the day that he was raised up was the day he became the cornerstone of something new. Make sense? All right, so what day was he raised on? Sunday. So Sunday is the first day of the new creation. It is the first day of the ultimate regeneration of all things. It is the first, first day when the stone was established for the new thing that God would be doing. Um, interestingly, though, um, the f- Sunday was also the day that the first creation was established. Let there be light was on a Sunday. It was the first day, wasn't it? And it's a, it was a foreshadowing of the regeneration and the light which would dawn at the second creation. History really is two, two creations, a first creation and a second creation. The first Adam and the new, new Adam as well. So, but now, is this new day, this Lord's day, also the Sabbath? Is it the new Sabbath? Or do all those administrative elements concerning the Sabbath fall away and are to be rejected? Is the Ten Commandments, including the one at the middle of it, remember the Sabbath, is that to be rejected for this something that is totally new? Totally new, right? I would argue that that is not the case at all. Right, that this is the Sabbath. This is the new Sabbath. Right? Now, it is new. There is some things that are different about it. Right? No more blood sacrifices, for example. Um, but it is still the same Sabbath, taking on new form, blossoming in everything that it was ever intended to be. Right? So let me show you that. Um, we're going to go to Leviticus 23, verse 3. <clears throat> Leviticus 23, verse 3. All right, so... The, uh, in Leviticus 23, the church is still um, under the law. The atonement of Jesus Christ has not yet been accomplished. And the resurrection has not yet been accomplished. All right? So they are celebrating the Sabbath on the same day that the first Adam did. Right? What was Adam's first full day? It was Saturday, the sixth day. It was a day of Sabbath rest. And creation was going to start on that Sabbath. But then what happens? He falls, probably that day or the next day. He falls from grace, and so a new Sabbath has to be established, a new one, all right? Adam rests on Saturday, right? He falls, a new one has to be established. But until that new one is established, everyone is still celebrating on Saturday, right? But the new one, which would be established, was always in the mind of God and was always a part of the plan. Are you all following me? Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. All right, it'll make more sense in a second. Look, Leviticus 23, starting in verse 3. And maybe today, um, this uh, Sabbath day, you can redeem it by um, reading Leviticus, all of Leviticus 23. It's very fascinating. But look at this. He says, Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, 
a holy convocation. That's why, um, if you've ever wondered why do we go to church on a day of rest, because going to church is not always very physically restful, especially since I have to drive an hour, I have to get dressed, I have to wrangle the kids. Well, it's not just a rest, it's a holy rest, and it is a holy convocation. What's that word, convocation? Assembly. It's assembly. It's a gathering. It's a holy gathering, a holy assembly. That's right. <clears throat> and uh, it's unfortunate for those who claim Christ and don't believe that they have to gather with the saints. They really have no reason to believe they will go to heaven. That's how serious it is. And you can ask me later why I believe that. So it is a holy convocation. <clears throat> you shall do no work. It is a Sabbath, a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Amen. That's just the Ten Commandments. That's the fourth command right there. All right. They were to celebrate rest on Adam's day, a day of rest. But there are other Sabbaths. All over the Bible you hear Sabbaths, plural. There are other Sabbaths. That was a Sabbath, that sixth day Sabbath, or that seventh day Sabbath. But there are other Sabbaths. Look at Leviticus 23, verse 6. And here's where the, the main point of my whole class is about to come in. So pay attention. And on the 15th day, now what is that? What day of the week is that? It's a Sunday, that's right. According to our calendar, it's the first day of the week. You have 14 days, and then the first day of the next week. On the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Beginning on what day of the week? First day. What day of the week did Jesus rise from the, the grave? The first day, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Leviticus 23, verse 7. On the first day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. That's Sunday, once again. Now, who, who fulfills the Feast of, of Unleavened Bread? Jesus, exactly. All right, good. Leviticus 23, 10. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits. Who's the first fruits? Jesus is the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. So when you finally inherit the earth, when you finally receive the land, now you still have to uh, conquer the land, but it's yours. The inheritance is yours and you've entered in. You've crossed over. The exodus is complete. You're in the land. All the harvest that comes into you, the first fruits goes immediately to the Lord. But look at verse 11. I'm not sure I gave you all this in the notes, but look at verse 11. It's the very next verse. <clears throat> so speak to the people of Israel, gather the first fruits. That's for the Lord. Verse 11, and the priests shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted on the day. Say that with me. After the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. You enter the land, you receive the harvest, the first fruits go first day of the week. See it? first fruits is Christ, unleavened bread, Christ, Leviticus 23, verse 15. Moving on, verse 15. Now, what are we reading about here? We're reading about all the many Sabbaths, plural. These are all Sabbaths. There is a Sabbath on the, sixth, on the seventh day that they are to rest, but then he goes on in these prophetic feasts. All the feasts point to Jesus. He goes on in these prophetic feasts, to show how there's other Sabbaths, and every single one of them points to Jesus, so that their calendar is a gospel proclamation, so that their week is a gospel proclamation of a new Adam 
in a new creation and a new Sabbath. And where are we at? Verse 15, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath. So what's the day after the Sabbath? That's the first day, Sunday. You're going to count seven full weeks. That's going to be 49 days. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. So you're going to start the day after the Sabbath, and you're going to count seven more Sabbaths, and the day after the Sabbath, you're going to have, do you all know the name of that feast? Pentecost, that's right. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. See, it's a holy convocation, it's a day of worship, it's a Sabbath, and it's on the first day of the week. Leviticus 23, verse 24, speak to the people of Israel, saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with a blast of trumpets. A blast of trumpets, by the way. A holy convocation. A blast of trumpets. Not a, a, uh, a modest, temperate, um, unobtrusive, gentle noise of trumpets, but a blast of trumpets that requires you to blast back. That's a, that's a little side note there. Leviticus 23, verse 36 For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord on the what? Eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. That is, it is a Sabbath. You shall not do any ordinary work. All right? Verse 39. This is the last one, if if I've lost you already. On the 15th day of the seventh month, that's Sunday, When you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. Sunday, Sunday. Sunday, 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 Sunday. The whole book of Leviticus, the whole chapter of Leviticus 23 starts off Saturday, you guys, but then you're going to have all of these messianic feasts, all of these other Sabbaths, and they're all Sunday. Makes sense? So, next time you're asked, why do we do it on Sunday? Now you have a little bit of the reason for that. All right, changing the calendar, changing the Sabbath had always been a part of God's plan. <clears throat> and the whole calendar is based on all the festivals on Sunday. Makes sense? And that means the calendar itself proclaimed this future coming day that God said he would establish. And when would he establish this new day? When the stone became. That's right, when the stone became the cornerstone. Now, if this is true, we, of course, would expect the New Testament to model this. You would expect them to be going to church on Sunday. You would expect some allusions to these Leviticus passages, some recognition of this. Now, why don't we know anything about that? Because our pastors and our elders over the last hundred years failed us terribly and took the Old Testament away from us. That's why, primarily. Um, We are ignorant of the Old Testament. We are uh, sorely, our worldviews are more secular than Hebrew. And so we have a lot to learn. So that's why we don't automatically know anything about Leviticus 23. But do you think John and Matthew were like us? No. They interpreted everything by the grid of the Old Testament. They had a a biblical worldview, even though they still had a lot to learn. But look at Matthew 28, verse 21. All right? And after the Sabbaths, this is a literal translation, the Berean literal translation. And after the Sabbaths, 
right? It became, it being dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and then the other Mary came to the tomb. You see that? I got another one for you. John chapter 20, verse 1. Now, if y'all, y'all stop me if you have any questions. I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to be done early. We'll see. John 20, verse 1. John the Hebrew, writing about the resurrection, writes, now on the first day of the week. There's nothing in the Bible that is uh, lanyap. It's all there for a reason. Why does John make note of this? Because John is a Hebrew. They know the significance of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They know what this means. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. John 20, verse 19 He goes on in the same chapter. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Why were they assembled there? Church, right? Um, Why were the doors locked? The apostate church, right? The spies. Verse 26 of the same chapter. Eight days later, Why is that necessary for us to know? Because it's the next Sunday. (laughs) After the resurrection, Jesus didn't hang out with the disciples every single day of the week. He visited them on Sunday. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He's coming to church. And they're having church. They all know it's the eighth day. Everybody, they know it. Y'all see that? And not only did Jesus meet with them on Sunday, the disciples were already treating it as special, as the new day which had been established. All right? Um, And then we would expect, if this is the case, that the church in the book of Acts would be following suit. And uh, I don't have these verses for Brother Kevin, but let's uh, maybe y'all could take turns looking them up. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. If someone could look up Acts 20, verse 7, if someone else could get 1 Corinthians chapter 16. You got Acts? Uh, read it real loud for us. Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. When were they gathered? First day of the week. And, and Paul had a long sermon, right? <laughs> right. Gathered. First day of the week, long sermons, all biblical, right? That was a joke. First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Verse 1, who's got that one? You have it? Read verse 2 first, though. On the first day of each week, each of you is to put something aside to store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be none collecting when I come. When do they take their offering? When do they offer their tithes and their freewill offerings to the Lord? On the first day of the week. Now, they, they are gathering them and they are collecting them, which implies that they are gathered and giving their money into a common source there. Now, Jordan, could you read verse 1 for us? Now, concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. Now, there you have it. Right? As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. Right? Very, very clear. That's why we, even though with the internet and with... Uh, Secure give and PayPal and all of that, we still pass the plate because we want to give an offering to the Lord on the Lord's day in the congregation of his people. Make sense? And I, I do think you miss out if you don't participate in that. 
I think that is um, good. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to bust anybody's chops. Um, we give online, um, but I think it's good to participate. I know some people that give online, but then they have like they set aside like a special token or a free will offering just for the Lord's Day so that they can participate in that. I don't know. I think it's a, a good thing and it would come with blessings. Now, let's go from this to something even more interesting. And, uh, and this is where I'm going to um, meddle and I'm going to push you and I, and I want you to, uh, to do your best to receive it or reject it, but don't totally reject it. Just put it on the shelf right here for later. Right? Pastor Brandon believes this. He's not an idiot totally. Um, <laughs> let me just put this on the shelf right here. And let me just hold on to this. And, and maybe God will, will put the puzzle pieces for me together for later. You understand what I'm saying? All right, so I, that's all we're asking. I, don't, I would never want you to be convinced of anything just because I said it, um, but only because you see it in Scripture. Let each, be, um, let each be convinced in their own mind. I have to, be, I have to reason and persuade, just as Paul did, in, um, in Ephesus, and, and you have to consider on these things and meditate on these things. So look at, and everybody can turn in your Bibles. This would be really good to turn in your Bibles. I'll do this. I wasn't going to do this, but I, God gave me 13 more minutes. Serious, I, I really wasn't, but 13 more minutes, I have to redeem the time here. So Isaiah 65. We're putting texts together, we're harmonizing them, and we're thinking about the implications. Isaiah 65, and we're going to start in verse 17. Isaiah 17. I mean, Isaiah 65, 17. Now, if you're looking at your text, what do the translators think this section would be good to be called? New heavens and the new earth. So we're in our sermon series, we're in Revelation chapter 21, Okay. Now, when John saw it in chapter 21 of Revelation in the year 66 AD, I believe, um, it had already been constructed, all right? John sees it, constructed. Here, Isaiah is going to talk about it, but it hasn't yet been constructed. Make sense? Paul said, the, the Jerusalem above is our mother. That's where we're born from. That, that was built by Jesus in some sense in the first century. Um, and when you die, you go there. So you, and it, does it have streets of gold? It says it does, but, if it, but it's not exactly like our planet because it's clear gold. Who's ever seen clear gold? It's glorified gold. So what exactly is God trying to communicate? I don't know, but he is saying it's streets of gold and walls of, of clear jasper, and it's massive, and there's no temple, and there's no blood sacrifices. That is the new Jerusalem, and it is on the new creation, on the new heavens, and it's coming down to the new earth. John sees it already started. He sees it started. He sees it constructed. You understand what I'm saying? All right? Now, Isaiah prophesies its construction, its launching. All right? New heavens and new earth. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Right? Now, when did I say the new heavens and the new earth were first inaugurated? At the resurrection. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. He is the firstborn of the dead. That is the beginning of the second creation. Now, has the earth been totally recreated yet? Obviously not. Right? Has heaven 
Has it been renewed? Is there a new heavens? I think so. Because he says, pray that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You say, but Satan used to go to heaven. Well, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from the heavens like lightning. And so I believe in the first century, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Satan was ousted from the heavenlies, along with all of his demons, bound with a chain, Revelation says, and that in heaven now there is no more crying, no more weeping, no more death, no more pain, no more sin, and, uh, and, and all those former things have passed away, and it is a new heaven, and the new Jerusalem is there. And when you die, you go there, all right? But John says that it's coming down, which is what we pray. Thy kingdom come, right? It was already coming in 66 AD, and it's still coming to this day, okay? But Isaiah hasn't seen it created yet, but he's speaking prophetically that it is created. He creates a new heavens and a new earth at the resurrection. That's where it starts, okay? When will it be totally culminated? When we all are resurrected, right? What I believe is the second resurrection, all right? Jesus is the first, the first fruits, and we're the second resurrection. Now, keep reading in Isaiah, though. Verse um, 18. In light of the creation of the new heavens and new earth, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem. So there's already a Jerusalem in Isaiah's day. What is he seeing here? The creation of what? The new Jerusalem, all right, on the new heavens and the new earth. This is Revelation 21. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. John points that out as well. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old. How about them apples? All right, what is this a promise of? Old age. If you die at 100, you die as a young man. Is this after the resurrection or before the resurrection? It's got to be before because there's people dying. There's people dying before the resurrection, but they're dying at 100 years old and they're a young man. All right. And the sinner, a hundred years old, shall be accursed. And they're sinners. Okay? But even they are receiving blessings. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. What's that a promise of? Prosperity, blessing, abundance. They shall not build and another inhabit. No more war, no more um, pillaging and plundering. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. You will work, and you will reap abundance, success, victory. You will live a bright old age. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, meaning their children will be elect. I believe that's what that means. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Right? So, uh, close intimacy with God. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. So, some form of reconciliation in, in nature, in the animal kingdom, domestication of animals. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. Satan will be underfoot. 
They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. When will these things be? It has to be before the second resurrection, and it has to be after the first resurrection. You see that? I'll just leave that with you. You can figure out how all that works. But the way I believe, what I believe, is that those are promises and prophecies for this time. I believe we are probably in the early church. And, uh, but I also believe we already see some of this stuff. Do we not in, already enjoy peace and prosperity and abundance and medical innovations and long life and the domestication of animals? And Don't we already enjoy all of these things? Um, I do think this speaks of even more of what we already enjoy before the end of human history, during time. And I believe faith in that is, um, is something that can really help you and aid your Christian life. So if you want to learn more about that, you can ask me. Um, but that's, uh, that's some of the, the beauties of the new creation having already been, a, been established. All right, well, let's, uh, we got five minutes for any questions that you might have. Sabbath day, new creation, anything. Pastor Scott, you want to fill anything out or, or ask? No? Uh, yeah, Jordan. Are we allowed to play golf on Sunday? If No, okay, thank you. <laughs> They have a different, totally different calendar. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's lunar. It's a lunar calendar. Yep. We have a solar cal- calendar, um, so it's it's majorly different. Good question. Anything else? Yes. Many other saints were resurrected. I'll have to get back to you on that one. I think they went to heaven. Yeah. No, I think they, they, they were rose up and they walked around Jerusalem. And I think there's probably a lot more than we realize. And I think they're all in heaven now. Um, anything else? Or I'm going to go to another passage. I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you too much good news to handle this morning. All right, I got another one for you. Psalm 2. Psalm 2, starting in verse 1. Are you able to throw that up there, darling? Psalm 2, 1. All right, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. Are y'all able to read? It's not on the screen, but maybe y'all can read it on your phones or your Bible. So the kings of the earth are taking counsel. They're conspiring against Yahweh and his anointed, capital A. All right, who's, who's that? That's Jesus. That's right. And the kings of the earth, what are they saying? They say, let us burst their bonds apart. And cast away their cords from us. Let us not be under his law or under his dominion. Right? He who sits in the heavens laughs. Right? The Lord holds them, his enemies, in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, 
my holy hill. Now, you know what Zion is. It's the new Jerusalem. It's the holy hill. And who is seated on the throne there? Jesus. And when did that happen? At the ascension. That's right. At the ascension. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Make a note of that. Look that phrase up in other parts of the New Testament. Sometimes it means childbirth. But for Jesus, it means the resurrection of the dead, the firstborn from the dead. When was he begotten? Now, everything I'm about to tell you hinges on this one point. If you can find that expression, it's quoted in the New Testament. Psalm 2 is quoted in the New Testament. Today I've begotten you. And you see what it references. Then you can understand Psalm 2 in the timeline. But it references the resurrection from the dead. All right? So you can just take my word for that for now, but make a note of it to go look at it later. All right? Today, what day? Lord's day, the new day, I have begotten you, the resurrection day. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of earth your possession. So Jesus asked the Father for the nations and for the whole earth, and the Father gives it to him. That all happened at the ascension. And then what shall you do? You shall break them with a rod of iron, the nations, and you shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, how does Jesus defeat the nations and those who plot and conspire against him? He shatters their teeth, disempowering them. He kills them, but he also converts them, amen, by the gospel. Now, therefore, O kings, now that the anointed one has been ensconced and has been given the nations and the earth, be kings of earth, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Now, what time period are we in right now? After the ascension. It's now. All right. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord. Who should serve the Lord? The rulers of the earth. The kings of the earth. Not just the pastors and the moms and the dads. The presidents. Kiss the son, which is a sign of, of giving tribute and honor and loyalty, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. If kings, political rulers, don't submit to the anointed, ascended, nations-given Jesus, he will dash them with a rod of iron. That is what will happen to our regime um, if there's no repentance. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen? Now, if he's ruling over the nations and the nations are his, inher- his heritage and he sent out the Holy Spirit and his church to disciple the nations, the question you have to ask is, will he succeed? And I think the answer is yes, he will succeed. It's now, it's in this time period. At no point in either of these passages are we awaiting a future return of Christ to then kickstart it. It's already been kickstarted at the resurrection. We live in the kick-started resurrection, new heavens and new earth, nations being ruled, nations being conquered by the gospel, people getting older, people getting healthier, blessings, blessings, blessings. But like all blessings of the Lord, if you don't believe them, you don't receive them. And so that's my pastoral meddling and encouragement for you. If it, look, this is a lot. I just went through a lot. You don't have to get it right away. Just put it on the shelf and think about it for a little while. Amen? All right, y'all have a great Lord's Day.